0: Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, coming at you once again. Uh, In case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart stuff and wearing blue dresses and teal pearls. I don't even know what kind of, what kind of, what stone is that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's,
0: it's very things on a string. It's, it's very Black Pantherish. ish oh. uh, um, uh, Sorry, everybody. Uh, so today we have Ariba Jahan from the Ad Council. Say hello. Hi. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good.
0: I like how you looked at the device when I you I know. <laughs> <laughs> like as if it was a person. You're like, hi, I'm a little microphone. <laughs> um, so you are, as, as if I'm correct, the director of innovation yes. here at the ad Council mm-hmm. um, let's let's take one tiny step back okay because I'm even I'm a little ignorant as to what exactly the ad Council is uh-huh. and then we can talk about how you innovate it but sure. just like what's a little bit of 101 on on the ad Council altogether?
1: well um, we are a nonprofit organization and our job is to work with other nonprofits. And government organizations to create measurable change on pressing social issues, um, such as like diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion, um, increasing girls in STEM, food waste prevention, saving for retirement, um, lung cancer screening, buzz driving prevention, and many more. And we do this by uh, using all the tools in what we see as the communication arsenal. You know, it's everything from PSAs, websites, apps, um, media partnerships, billboards, PR, you name it.
0: That's amazing. Um, and you've been a part of the group for how long now, three years?
1: Um, yeah, up until yesterday. I kept on claiming it was a year. You know? <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> and then I realized, no, that that can't be correct. What was that? Um, <laughs>
0: like doggie I don't even know what like what kind of math that is um unless yes, you just age yes. like slower than everybody else <laughs> right, right um it it it's it's an interesting thing when you start to deal with causes right like yeah. uh, and almost to me like almost everything sounded depressing <laughs> you know but but obviously you guys are doing a great job at affecting change you know how do you A, just keep a really good energy about all the causes and things that you guys are affecting, um, especially when it comes to invention, right? The spirit of invention and the messaging and the experiences that you're creating. (laughs)
1: Energy within. Yeah. Just within the team, within the,
0: like the ideation process, you know, I I feel like you could easily get worn down sort of spiritually. I don't mean to go deep right off the bat, but you know, it's like, cause after cause, issue after issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Um, at any given moment, we do have 40 active campaigns on our docket. Wow. You know, and there's um, about 120 people that work at the Ad Council. And while we are headquartered in New York, we do have a D.C. office. And we have people in Boston as well as San Francisco. I think in terms of the energy, um, I know, like, savings for retirement, and <laughs> mine is a terrible thing to waste. yeah. I think what's what's really crucial here is that uh, everyone, the people that work at the Ad Council, our board partners, um, our media partners, and our sponsors, I think we're so anchored at creating a social impact and really seeing a behavioral shift in um, in human beings that we don't necessarily get For lack of any other words, I think we just see the potential of the magic that can happen when all these minds come together. You know, um, and I think we're constantly looking at we're we're constantly looking at our audience, looking at the user centered insights, and anchoring ourselves around who these human beings are. You know, what are their worldviews? What are their challenges? And how do we add the most tremendous value in their world? And because we're so anchored there, I think it keeps our energy focused on them. Right. Um, And I think because our partners are so dedicated to like join forces with us, we're constantly just coming up with new ideas. Our energy kind of gets bounced back and forth of like just positivity.
0: It's like flubber. When, but just with. I mean, smart that's thinking. exactly
1: where I was going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I'm going to call this episode. Yeah, flubber. flubber. Um, so, when it I comes to come innovation, right? You mentioned you mentioned a lot of platforms, a lot of content experiences. Mm-hmm. What specifically are you charged with? You know, um, uh, from an innovation perspective, what does that mean for the Ad Council?
1: So, in terms of innovation at the Ad Council, I think um, we've been exploring innovation from for some time on the campaign level. Um, with With the intention of meeting our audience where they are, I think you know if you think about the traditional model was always about a broadcast driven model, and now there 's just because of the internet and social media disruption there 's just so many more digital products to be exploring um, we 've been exploring bots a few years back on the teen dating violence prevention campaign using like Kick messenger. Mm. Um we worked with RGA and reply.ai, who's a startup coming out of the RGA Ventures group, um, to create the Go Vote Bot for the last election. And most recently, we launched a bot to help adults get their high school diploma, you oh, know, wow. for the high school equivalency campaign. Um, you know, how does that I, work?
0: I, like how with the with the high school the GED Yeah, Like how does how does how like walk me through that experience? Yeah.
1: So what happens is um if you're on Facebook or if you're engaging with the bot, um, it senses, it uses geolocation to find what are the most nearby accessible programs for you to use and pursue getting your high school diploma. So it directly connects you where you are to your goal of getting your diploma.
0: And so this is, this is an interesting part of the innovation process, right? Like you talked a lot about data. But then there's also just like let's get in a room and bounce some ideas off of each mm-hmm. other, right? Where and with a program like that, where you're talking about bots and like how you want to in- engage with people and actually convert them into actually doing right. the program, how much of it is data? How much of it is just gut, right?
1: I think there's a mixture. I think um, I think you can you can generate as many ideas as you want, but you have to vet them in a way where you're assessing what are your riskiest assumptions about those ideas, um, in order to make sure there is a significant amount of desirability from that audience, that you are actually solving something for them, and you're solving it in a way that naturally fits their world, right? Would they engage with this in this way? You know, um, And then, thank God for data, <laughs> then you can keep iterating and exploring, like, okay, looks like we expected our audience to engage with the bot in this way, but actually, they're doing something completely different. It sounds like they need this other content, can we create that, you know, so it's keeping, I think, I think the gut part becomes Seeing the opportunity and see and really identifying who the audience is, and sometimes that's not quantitative. You leverage quantitative data, but you also talk to real human beings, you yeah. know, and hear their stories. I think, um, and and so you can gather both sides mm-hmm. using the data and your gut and vetting things in the right way with the right lens then you can keep iterating it, um, iterating any concept and making sure it evolves with the audience's needs.
0: In my amazing new book, Yeah. Um, Crushing the Box, (laughs) 10 Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules. Uh (laughs) Our first chapter, we actually, I don't know what I say, our, the first chapter, the conversation is around, uh, unless you want to write the book with me. Yeah, I was
1: just going to (laughs) say, we wrote it together. It's
0: about empathy, right? It's exactly what you're just saying. Like, How much do we know about this individual or this group of individuals or their daily lives? you know, and with 40, any, you know, like you said, 40 different campaigns going yeah. at any given time, how much do you immerse yourself in the culture? Um, you know, how much of it is like, hey, let's Google some facts mm-hmm. uh, versus like, hey, single parent, like, well, let's sit down and have a dinner. Right? Yeah. what where's that, Where does the empathy piece come in? And especially across a giant portfolio right. of causes.
1: I think it's um, when it is, when it's a docket filled with such emotionally provoking um, issues, empathy isn't hard. I think the um, the it's kind of exploring blah 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 blah. <laughs>
0: Whatever. Okay. No, because I, I think you know, I mean, to to sort of get it back on track, it's uh, it is kind of like diving deep and not misunderstanding you know, a culture. Because I've done projects where it was like, oh, this is how teens engage. Yeah. And then you go sit with a group of teens and you're like, oh, we don't do that at all. You're right. like, but that's what I read online. Right. <laughs> right.
1: I think um, in terms of empathy, I think the, I think Ad Council and the teams here who work on all these issues, we leverage so much data in the research. I think we engage issue experts upon issue experts you know, our sponsors have research units within their organization, right. so there's so much research coming at these campaigns. I think um, to go back to just the empathy piece a little bit, I think that's something that we focus on a lot in in Splashbox. You know, um, Splashbox, we we're hoping to uh, continuously. You know, people already know how important empathy is, but mm-hmm. Splashbox is more or less another way to empathize with our target audience to really understand the problem we're trying to solve, mm. not necessarily just anchored around an idea.
0: So explain to me a little bit what Splashbox is.
1: Sure. Sure. So you it know, sounds
0: fancy. I want to, <laughs> I like, I want to get in one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I do have a notebook for you. So do Ooh, remind me. I love notebooks. You um, see,
0: yeah. I'm writing down. So <laughs> is mine too tattered for you? Is that, no, is that like perfect. a pointed it's compliment? It's
1: perfect. Uh. <laughs> um, so Splashbox. So if I may, I'm just going to back up for a second yeah. to give you a, a context about Splashbox. So, um, you know, I talked about how we are already innovating on campaigns. And I think, Our CEO is super dedicated and supportive of innovation overall as a practice and really wants to um, support our um, teaching innovation methodologies at the Ad Council. And, you know, in terms of what drove us to focus on that training is realizing that we do need to constantly evolve our campaign work in response to all the rapidly changing elements around us, you know, and the rapidly changing audience needs. And um, to do that, we had kicked off like a um, landscape analysis and a listening tour about two summers ago to understand, well, what is innovation at other organizations, Mm. you know, and what are they doing about it? Um, Not necessarily to then bring it home, but it's more like, well, well, how do they go about figuring out what innovation means for them and what and can that help us figure out what innovation is for us? Right. And um, we're still having those ongoing conversations to keep learning. But we've met with companies like Adobe, ARP, Visa, Capital One, Elsevier, UNICEF, and Salesforce. And, you know, all of those organizations have some sort of design thinking in their innovation efforts. And, you know, that approach usually involves some sort of an internal design training rollout, you know. Um, You know, and we also... We also learned that other companies might focus on, like, a specific part of design thinking, like rapid prototyping or testing. And that allowed them to kind of just hone in on how quickly can we learn how a technology um, can be leveraged to meet users' needs. You know, and as we were doing that, we realized, you know, what resonated the most with us is that focus on creating a shared innovation practice and a culture that can be seen um, at those companies I mentioned, like ARP and right. UNICEF.
0: So, a shared innovation practice. So, you know, I, I know when we've spoken before, like your job is kind of twofold, right? One, yeah. to sort of be the voice of innovation, you know, and b- the voice of reason within innovation, I guess, to an extent. But the other part is to like empower. Yeah. You know, other individuals, because I, I know most organizations is like, oh, that's the innovation team. Right? right. And it's like, but I have this little idea that I had at breakfast this morning. I'm going to keep it in my back pocket because yeah. it's not my job. Right. Um, how do you so how do you go about creating that culture? Um, as as a leader within our organization, but just as, you know, as Ariba Jahan and, and the process here at the at the at council.
1: I mean, that's a great point. I think that that's exactly why we chose the approach for innovation training and not necessarily having an innovation lab that would feel very separate from the rest of the company. I think it's more like we have an innovation team. You're looking at it. You know, I work with Anastasia and Beth, but- <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, w- my goal is to really spread the innovation um, practice and mindset in a way where everyone has a seat at the table. Yeah. You know, n- they're informed and they're equipped with the methodology so they can bring that thinking to all of their work, whether it's campaign or non-campaign related.
0: Do you, do you have a feel good moment of when it worked?
1: Oh, my God, yes.
0: Like somebody was like, oh,
1: look what I did. <laughs>
0: yeah. that <laughs> that was your reaction. But...
1: I mean, that's my reaction every day. <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, I would say there's two examples. Um, for our retirement campaign, yeah, so for our, for our Savings for Retirement campaign, you know, we worked really closely with, do you know ARP's Innovation Lab um, is called The Hatchery?
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: based out of D.C.,
0: I'm gonna pretend I do. But okay, cool. Yes, no. That's great.
1: So <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah, th- them over there. Um, so they they have a um, innovation. Lab. I actually
0: have heard of it. I'm okay. teasing, but yes.
1: So we worked really closely with the hatchery. Um, they have their own innovation practice, and it, it, it overlaps with Splashbox pretty well enough so that we were able to collaborate really strongly. And it was just so much fun as we kind of took those methods to figure out, well, what is the right digital experience for this campaign? You know, savings for retirement isn't the most sexiest topic for most people. And sometimes, not sometimes, it just happens to be naturally stressful. Yeah. You know, um, so we did we did a ton of research, but what we leveraged those research in a new way where we started interviewing people that we wouldn't traditionally interview. Like we started talking to futurists and real estate agents and um, people who, why am I blanking on the word? Like school principals, you know, mm-hmm. like, like key individuals who engage with our um, audiences mm-hmm. at those like key financial decision moments. And um, by doing that, you know, uh, by doing that as well as like audience focus groups mm-hmm. and user testing, you know, it really helped us understand who our audience is, not just like the demographic data we already know and like the data you can get on their digital user behaviors, but having real conversations and understanding like what is the most crippling moment they have, you Mm -hmm. know, and is this, is this group, a group that just doesn't care about finances or is it hard? Do they need information? Do they need a calculator? You know, and through that, we realized we learned about their everyday lives and their challenges, and then we started leveraging those user centered insights to figure out like what do they really need? You know you know we already have a PSA that we wanted to create, but what message are we sending? Right. What tone are we creating? And we knew, we quickly realized that this audience is not an audience that's clueless about their finances. If anything, they are savvy and fully aware. Mm. You know, this is a group that they plan vacations, they own homes. And matter of fact, they're prioritizing financing their kids' education over their own, like, other finances, like retirement savings, you know. And so anchoring ourselves in that user-centered insights um helped us figure out like you know what our campaign should have like a very encouraging and empowering tone where our p s a focuses on like celebrating those milestones and successes they have, and you know really encouraging to encouraging them to apply that financial know how they already have created but now on their own retirement savings right you know and so um, the digital experience kind of matches up and complements the PSA by providing um, uh, the digital experience is a bot. It's a it's uh it's, it's our our bot's name is Avo. And Avo. Avo. Oh
0: okay. Yeah. Um,
1: we have an Avo <laughs> stress ball. I should give you one. Thank too. you.
0: The, um, so I, you're just gonna leave I mean, here yeah, exactly. with a I mean bunch of swag.
1: So, you know, what AVO does is AVO walks you through um, a few questions to understand about your life and then provides you a personalized action plan that highlights, you know, what are the three, top three actions you can take right now Mm -hmm. that are simple and tangible to get you started on saving for retirement?
0: I think there should have been a jingle. (laughs) AVO be there. Oh. So moving right along.
1: My,
0: you, said, <laughs> you know, you know you but here's say. what I like about that story. Um, and most of the things you've said so far. This Only is, most? Okay, I'm, no, I'm kidding. No, <laughs> one thing you've said so far. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's an anecdote that says Einstein once said, who knows if he actually said it or not, but he For said. For the sake of this, this yes. He said, if you gave me 24 hours to save the world, I'd spend 23 of them asking questions. Yeah the biggest thing it sounds like is like you have a like you guys are reaching very wide in terms of where you're gathering insights from yeah. um where did that come from in the design thinking process or you know as part of the process and how do you know which doors to knock on <laughs> cuz like you wouldn't normally expect real estate, like a real estate agent or a school teacher, that was the one that surprised me the most, um, to be part of the conversation about, like, retirement savings. And I'm sure you've done this multiple times over on other projects. So um, where does that philosophy come from?
1: Yeah, I think I can't say we've been doing that on all of our campaign. That isn't part of the new practice. And I think, but I can't talk about, like, why we think that is important um, Splashbox. Uh, the first part of Splashbox is immerse you, and it's all about take a deep dive into the challenge space and look at it from all different angles to really figure out what's what are you trying to solve. Mm-hmm. You know what is sometimes we know something as simple as we want this audience group to save for retirement. Okay, but like why aren't they or are mm-hmm. we are are they saving but Or do they want to save, but they're having other challenges to meet that, you know? So I think um, in terms of talking to everyone that touches that space is you're looking for insights and you, and you can't really make the call on who has it and who doesn't. Right. But you, you know, we believe we should talk to our target audience and talk to other people that engage with our target audience around those key decision points. Mm -hmm. You know, we always, I think... And I mean, in your practice, too, I imagine you talk to issue experts, you know, that might be issue experts in terms of the social issue or like that content or that medium or that platform. But I think, you know, sometimes the experts in the room are just our audiences, too. Right. You know, they hold that. Um, In terms of knowing what door to knock on and what not to knock on, I think it's kind of a cyclical process you you interview you generate your insights to really understand their worldview and what's keeping them up at night and or if the thing that you're thinking of solving is that the thing that you should solve to meet them and i think then you create a ton of ideas right um, we're human beings. As soon as mm-hmm. we hear something, we're coming up with a ton of ideas. Yeah. Like, I'm sure right now in the back of your head, you're like, well, I have like five things I'd rather. It's empty, actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think it's tumbleweed.
1: Tumbleweed? Well, that's an idea. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that's, an, yeah, idea, that's an idea. <laughs> you got um, me.
1: But, you know, I think from those ideas, the way to figure out how to go from ideas to know which one to follow through on, right. I think you have to think about what are you assuming? you know like so suppose you have a bunch of ideas you pick 5 that you think are really strong you know you can probably combine a few into one and mm-hmm. you're like you know these are kind of thematic but every one of our ideas at some point the time the time difference between talking to our initial users and then coming up with those ideas usually there's a gap period yeah. you know by then you've introduced vr and ar and all of ARP
0: v- yes. <laughs> Um I
1: think at that point, yeah. what you should do is figure out, what are you assuming about this idea? You know, what are your riskiest assumptions? And usually, it's as simple as, do people want this?
0: <laughs> right. That's,
1: that's <laughs> absolutely true. You know, like, true. will this yeah. solve the challenge that we think it's supposed to solve? Right. Will people use this in the way that we think they're going to use this? You know, and I think that can always guide us.
0: Yeah no it's, it's a you there's definitely a lot of phone calls and emails coming from you to, to other people um can we talk about you for a second uh yeah um so this is not your trained area of expertise right like mm-hmm. you want to say it was biomedical something it was something pretty fancy that you studied in school yeah. and, which was I what don't know
1: about fancy but biomechanical engineering
0: see i couldn't even say it <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, obviously, that's a lot of science, right? And there's, I think there's also a lot of scientific method that goes into the innovation process. Like, why did you transition? And also, you know, what did you learn previously that kind of applies to this this process?
1: What was the first question?
0: I don't remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was like, what, so how does the scientific method yeah. sort of apply here, yeah. you know, in terms of what you're doing? In, and why did you make the transition? That was sure. the first
1: question. I think. Um, I told you
0: it was tumbleweeds back then.
1: <laughs> I think I see a lot of science and engineering in Splashbox and like this practice. Um, I think science has innately the concept of like have a hypothesis. You know, you start with what you're solving for. You don't mm-hmm. really start with a solution. And um, science always says be inquisitive, right? Like have a healthy amount of inquiry in everything that you do. And it kind of keeps your lens very open. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even the word hypothesis, you put a stake in the ground, but you know that you haven't proven it yet, you know, and until you have the proof, it just stays an assumption. Mm. And there is a level of comfort you have to have with that. Um, and then you go about your ways and have your methods and you learn and you use those learnings to figure out like, where, where are we landing? Here? Mm. What's the next evolution of this? What's the iteration that we're going to make and what decisions are we going to make from it? I think the, um, engineering part of it is figuring out. The prototypes you can do in order to actually test an assumption. You know, you keep your lens open enough to learn, but you do have to um, you do have to figure out what are the key questions to ask to figure out how an audience would actually behave and not mm. just claim, like, yeah, I love this idea. Thank you. I'll I'll I I will buy this when you <laughs> launch this. Right, right. You know, um, but so I think there is a lot of science and engineering in it. I think the one thing to keep in mind is, like, in science, we say, like, the whole point of coming up with methods in science is like, okay, if you were to repeat this from step one through 10, you will get the exact same result. That doesn't happen when humans are involved. You know, that (laughs) doesn't... You know, that's not guaranteed when humans or, like, our trends or our culture or anything is involved, right? Our parameters are completely different. So I can tell you what works at Ad Council or what is working right now at the Ad Council. And that can't necessarily be duplicated with the same hopes of um, outcomes, right? Because it's a completely different Culture completely different. You know, yeah, there's no cookie cutter right.
0: solution and or methodology. Really, no. I mean, there's certain. I think there's tenets and principles that you make sure you apply. But the questions that you ask to you know the teacher, I'm going back to your ARP example versus the real estate agent versus yeah. an old person, mm-hmm. it's, it's like they're all going to be different inputs. You take that same sort of questioning methodology, place it in you know hunger.
1: Yeah, it's
0: going to like it's going to be a, a completely different sets of outcomes. Um,
1: I think. I think at that point. The mindset matters more than anything, right? Because can you? I think at that point, it's like a healthy amount of inquiry. Can you be open and generative and take and remember that things can be an assumption for you to test it and iterate and like keep learning from it?
0: Here's another thing about you. So, and this is where I think you become a very unique voice in this ecosystem um, is we talked about this before uh, being hard of hearing. Uh-huh. Um, and you talked a little bit about how at a young age you were forced to really pay attention can you kind of like retell that story because i think it's fascinating and i think it tells like you know it's a little telling of why aj people call you AJ. no nobody oops (laughs) they do now (laughs) no i'm sorry go ahead um just retell that story if you don't yeah
1: i think um so when we immigrated to America, I was about like seven years old mm-hmm. and going through those routine, from, going. from Bangladesh, sure. um, going through those routine health examinations for you to onboard into a school system. You know, that's actually when we first discovered I, I was hard of hearing and, um, you know, it was, it was pretty difficult on the family. No one really understood what this meant. And immediately uh, we needed to kind of adapt on a lot of different levels. I think the family had their own struggle, but then I had to figure out how to navigate school with my hard of hearing. We had like a bunch of different devices we were trying out and they weren't always working. But, um, you know, my doctor told me that there was a strong chance that I might lose all of my hearing within the next couple of years. Um and at that point, you were like what? I, yeah, it was like Double oh, 100. so 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 exciting. <laughs> right. to hear this, this is great news. Yeah, Thank I'm you. so glad I'm in America. Um, haha, timing to say that. Um, but so what happened was I needed other ways to understand people. You know, in in my household, everyone just spoke Bangla. So I quickly started getting really stressed out. Like, how am I going to communicate with anybody? You know, I just came to America. I am still trying to understand the difference between the English I learned in Bangladesh versus the spoken English in America. Right. Um, Let alone now I might have to learn sign language. So I started paying attention to body language and um, what people really do. You know, this is what we call user research now. <laughs> but I think uh, for me, it was just survival. Right. You know, how am I going to understand my family? How will I communicate with my family? How will I understand my teacher? Um, and so I think like that kind of instinct started developing more of a response mm. to like, huh, oh, crap, I'm about to go fully deaf. Um, yeah, I think hmm. I think that sense of awareness started then.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you passionate about the work that you're doing now? Like, because <laughs> <laughs> and I ask that because mm-hmm. you know I can you can tell when somebody has a job yeah. and when they like they're vested in what it is they're doing, like creating change, finding new methodologies of reaching people. But like, what what in that resonates with you as a current career path?
1: You know, my current role here at the Ad Council kind of merges everything I love. You know, um, we work on social issues that really matter to the world. We, um, I have a role where I get to apply science and engineering, but in a completely different way. You know, and I get to poke holes around. You know, and but I get to do all of that with the goal to. Empower everyone at the company. You know, I think that's amazing. You know, innovation isn't some it's everyone's responsibility. You know, it's not on one team. It's not on one person. If I could be the medium or the vessel through which that knowledge and that culture can happen. Great you know um years from now i hope to be able to walk around and see everyone applying whatever component of splashbox that feels right for the phase of the project that they're in right. everyone feeling like oh this is my job you know and i think that comes from um when the 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 desire to empower others i think that comes from when i was a kid you know um the time uh, when I was in junior high school and I had to apply for high school, that type of a time period. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with the New York City high school system, but. Uh, I'm so familiar. Oh, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> L.A., why wouldn't you be? I'm from
0: Detroit, actually, but go ahead. Sorry. Actually,
1: everyone should know everything. About Everybody me, but... should
0: know. Yes, here we go.
1: Yeah. Not entitled at all. <laughs> um, so, so New York City has like specialized science high schools and you have to kind of uh, test into them. And I remember being in junior high school, like I always loved science and math. That's always been my favorite classes, still, still, like those are my favorite subjects. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember wanting to go into Brooklyn Tech High School because I was like, oh, I somehow want to become a scientist or an engineer or some sort. And I remember my guidance counselor and my speech pathologist, my hearing speech pathologist at the time saying, I should consider having other dreams because I'm going to lose my hearing. Wow. And, um, you know, I should ha- I should just have other goals. And for me, in hindsight, what's, what's appalling is like, so what if I was to lose my whole hearing? I can still yeah. dream and I can still become a scientist or an engineer, you know. And um, so I was really bummed out. And, you know, like I didn't really know much. My parents don't know the American school system, you know. My dad's a cabbie. My da- my mom um, had two minimum wage jobs at, like, Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts, you know. So I didn't really have that type of uh, advocacy, educational advocacy at home. So I do what anyone naturally would do. I forged my mom's signature.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> um Uh, she still doesn't know. Hopefully she doesn't listen to your podcast.
0: I'm going to send it to her. Yeah, please do. (laughs) (laughs) What's your mom's email address? Tell everybody.
1: Um, But, you know, like the night before, I still remember like being super nervous and just kind of forged her signature on some sort of a permission slip just so I can get in to take that test. Wow. I had zero time to study cuz it's a last minute spontaneous decision and I was like, you know, worst case scenario I fail, but at least I know that I tried to get into the school that mm-hmm. I really wanted to. And I remember standing on the line to get in as if they would know that I'm not supposed to be there. You know, in hindsight <laughs> no one gives a damn. Right. But, you know, I was a child and I Went, took the test, and I remember the day my guidance counselor had to give me the results that I got into Brooklyn Tech High School. She kind of had that look where she was like, "Pretty sure you weren't supposed to be taking this test. Pretty sure I advised <laughs> I I you. you, right?
0: Yeah.
1: You know." And I think, um, no, it's it's nobody else's decision but my own mm-hmm. on what I should learn and how I decide to use my learnings. You know so in that same way if i could be a vessel for for information methodology and just another lens and a mindset do with it what you will yeah you know but i do think it's amazing that i get to help in providing that to my colleagues
0: that's brilliant um, a couple more things before we wind down. Okay. Uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. What's out there that you are currently crushing on? Um, what have you seen lately in your industry? Not in your industry, could be some weird animal you encountered, <laughs> or it might be a, a, I don't know where I came from, or a me, or maybe it's something like super nerdy and techy. I don't know.
1: Can I say one thing that I am crushing on that I? Um, yes, you may. That is kind of ad council related. Mm. I just learned about it. I just. I uh, saw the data um on it today. You know, earlier I was telling you about the retirement campaign where we really anchored ourselves around the user user and avo has been seeing an insane amount of engagement and I think like um in 7 months we saw 235,000 engagement sessions. And um, 95% of that group completed the engagement to the point where they got that personalized action steps. How to much time was
0: it spent per, like... Five and a half minutes.
1: Wow. And I think for me, knowing where it started, knowing, remembering all those, like, sketches and all the post-its where the, <laughs> right. that started from, I think, like, that makes me very excited. Um, so that would be one big crush I'm having right now. Um, I think externally, I was just reading about... Um, Patagonia's Action Works site? Have you seen it?
0: I have not. No, no okay. you've actually stumped me. Uh, uh, it,
1: it, I think they're doing an activation at South By as well. I think that's how I came across it. But basically, they created a digital platform where they uh, use your geolocation and they connect you directly with local activism opportunities in like um, categories like land, water, climate, communities, so that you can take action to help preserve um, the planet. Mhm. Uh, I I think it's really beautifully done. I was on it um a little while ago trying to figure out if I can do something. And they even have um they have like collection of groups as well as events you can go to.
0: Are you a, are you an outdoorsy type? I mean, you get out and yeah. you're you a hiker and you climb trees and Yeah. You know.
1: uh, trees maybe not so much.
0: <laughs> I, I climb bushes. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> skill.
1: I mean, I I have the right height for it. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Um I Funny you say that. I never used to be outdoorsy. I always thought outdoors is just like for the hippy, dippy, barefooted, you know, Tarzan situation. I'm not judging of raw at all. Almonds. Yeah, I'm not judging at all. Um, but when I first started at the Ad Council, I was on this campaign called uh, Discover the Forest. We're still, we still have that campaign. But I was constantly on that site to the point where I was like, maybe I should go discover a damn forest,
0: <laughs> you know? Like, Immerse yourself. Yeah,
1: I was like, what is this? Um, what
0: is this forest they speak of?
1: <laughs> and It's apparently only two hours away from me, <laughs> you know? So I still remember my first hike up at um, Cold Springs, New York, and I fell in love with outdoors. I was like, wow, nature is so beautiful. Like come up with any cliches about nature, I was experiencing that. And you know that led me to um, challenging myself to climb Kilimanjaro, like a few months later. Wow! You know, uh dis- what year are we in? This, is, this is, we're in twenty twenty four.
0: Remember you? Remember you? Your three years? You have a three I know, year expansion. I'm like, I'm
1: like trying to figure out <laughs> it's where <like> it was. Twenty sixty eight. So December twenty fifteen is when I uh, I did a I did a trek on Kilimanjaro. It was seven days. Uh, six nights and seven days. And I, I guess now I can claim I'm outdoorsy if I've done Kilimanjaro.
0: That's the ultimate outdoorsy. Unless you go to, like, space. It's like <laughs> Kilimanjaro or space. Otherwise, like, Central Park is not really
1: Yeah, I guess that's outdoorsy. Next. SpaceX just, like, yeah, started. Yeah, start-
0: he's driving in a car around <laughs> the moon. Um, so, last but not least, complete mm. this phrase for me. You ready? Don't look at your notes. So I could tell you're a scientist. I know. And, I'm
1: like, uh, this is like well, what is this was, This one, two, do?
0: three, four, five, six pages of notes with handwritten scribbles, highlights, just hyperlinks. I do What are you going to do with a hyperlink? <laughs> and there's, there's like red things underlined. I mean, you know. We, Wait, I want to pick one thing you underline. I'm just going to pick it randomly.
1: Okay.
0: Focus on specific parts of design thinking. Got it. Um... So this is how was that for you? This is that was uh, it was amazing. Okay, I feel so enlightened. Okay, Uh, complete this phrase for me. I'm going to turn all these over. You guys ready?
1: Yeah. Innovation
0: to me is
1: innovation to me is trying something new or different in a way that you solve a real challenge through cycles of healthy inquiry, testing, and iteration. That was great. All right.
0: Thank you. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. That that was a rhetorical question, but what is it? Um... you don't have any questions for you. There's nothing on your notes. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Where can people find you or more about the Ad Council?
1: Yeah. Um, if you, if whoever is listening, um, if you work in the innovation space and you want to connect and share learnings or find a way to collaborate together, uh, you can email me at A-J-A-H-A-N at adcouncil.org. That's A-J-A-H-A-N at adcouncil.org.
0: All right. Thank you. Seriously, thank you for, for doing this. No,
1: thank you for uh, <laughs> dealing with my...
0: <laughs> Everyone.
1: Random.
0: Yes, you are. slightly. We're all, we're all random. That's, uh, innovation is a messy process. It's not like yes. always linear. Yep. Uh, I can see my desk. But thank you guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.